someday. So it might come up, and, uh, and you might be saying, well, I, I know what that is. And, uh, and so it might be helpful to you uh, as we look at some of these things just to kind of uh, get, get the information out and kind of understand some of these too. So Proverbs chapter number 27, and just one verse we're going to look at, and uh, then we'll get into these three questions. The Bible says here in Proverbs 27, 14, He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to gather in your house around your word. God, I pray that you'd use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart as only you can. And Father, help us to understand these things. Help us to uh, wrap our heads around them, Father, so that we can understand and we can grow. We can learn more about you. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we look at this verse, uh, we see a couple of things, but I, we see uh, the question was this. I didn't write it down. It says, what did this mean and why, was a, why is it a curse is, is basically the gist of the question. And so I'm going to look at this verse and it says, he that blesseth his friend uh, with a loud voice. And so we're going to look at uh, this verse and I put down for this a cursed blessing. Uh, a cursed blessing. And, uh, and what is that? Uh, well, the first thing that we notice is he says there in verse number 14, he that blesseth his friend with a loud voice. Uh, that would be a clamorous blessing. Uh, that would be an overly obnoxious uh, praising of somebody. Um, have you ever seen maybe or, or been with somebody and, and you're in public and maybe you're at a restaurant and, uh, and they, they just happen to look at you and say, oh, this guy's the best. And it's like they're talking to the entire restaurant about how you're good at something. And, and, and usually they do it jokingly or to embarrass you or something of that nature. And that's kind of the idea and thought here that it's with a loud voice and that it would be obnoxious. And, uh, and as we think about it, uh, there, there are times uh, to praise a person, and sometimes there's not good times to praise a person. And then there's, there's quiet times as well. Uh, think about that. I think that drives more to what this verse is saying. Uh, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, uh, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And in verse number seven, it goes on and it says, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence. All the moms said, Amen. Uh, and you can use that verse, all right? And, and a time to speak. And so there is a time of silence and there is a time of speaking. And the old school rule of thumb uh, is that you were not to telephone people. You were not to call somebody on the telephone uh, before nine o'clock in the morning or after nine at night. That's the old school rule that I learned. Um, I think we almost need a whole... Uh, class on telephone etiquette because it's all gone out the window and people are on their phones 24-7 and they carry them around with them. And it used to be you'd leave the house to get away from your phone. Now we take it with us everywhere we go and, uh, and people just don't have very much telephone etiquette. But the old rule of thumb was, hey, don't call before nine, don't call after uh, nine in the morning and don't call after nine at night. And, uh, and mornings are considered a quiet time. I love the morning at our house, it's quiet. I mean, there's no noise. 
And, uh, and I like that, at least, in my, and, and everyone's saying, until Dad gets up and starts clanking around the kitchen. I do try to be quiet, but, uh, but when there's no noise and you happen to set your cup down and it goes clunk, it's going to make noise. And so, uh, but, uh, but I love that quietness in the morning. And so this verse is simply saying, He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, in other words, in a time that it should be quiet, in a time that would be normal, uh, that would be, be a quiet or a still time, uh, it says the second part, it shall be counted a curse to him. Um, and now it's counted a curse. What does curse mean? Uh, it has actually quite a few definitions, and one of the definitions that it means is a condemnation or something that is looked down upon. And so uh, if this fella's getting up early in the morning and, uh, and he's just saying, man, this guy is the greatest guy before he's even out of bed and, and, uh, and waking everyone up and just saying how wonderful he is, uh, then, then listen, that's going to be counted a curse to him. In other words, everyone else uh, is going to get upset with him. Even his friend may get upset with him and say, Look, you might you might think I do good at this, or you might like this or that or whatever. But uh, but man, it's quiet time. Be quiet. Don't make any noise, and it becomes a curse or a condemnation uh, to this person. And it could even be a hindrance in their friendship or something that would be a problem. And uh, and so uh, that's really what that verse is. It's pretty straightforward. He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice, in other words, he'd praise him or say something good about him, even though he thinks it's, it's a good thing, uh, rising early in the morning, I think that's key, that it was out of place in a quiet time, it should be counted a curse to him. In other words, he's, he may be meaning it for good. He may even have good intentions and good uh, sincerity there. Uh, but because of the timing issue, and it's not the right time, and it's out of place, uh, then it could very well uh, turn around on him and the person that he's praising could get upset uh, at, at the praise that's being given because of the uh, time that it's being given. So we have a cursed blessing there in Psalm or Proverbs 27, 14. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. And I did write this question down. This one was involved 2 Peter chapter number 3 as you're turning there the question is is there a given date or time period when Jesus was on earth and returned to heaven then the second part of the question is the earth is said to be 6000 years old and we refer to his return to ha to to, lead, to, to earth as 2,000 years ago. To him, one day is as a 1,000 years. So in his timing, would 2,000 years equal two days? And uh, we get that idea from Second Peter chapter 3. I'm not there yet. Chapter 3 and verse number 8. The Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day 
And, uh, and I'll just, I'll throw this out there. Let's stop right there just for a moment. We'll come back to our text here and we'll look at this and put it in context. But I, I thought of this verse when I did read this. Uh, Acts 1, verses 6 and 7. You can just jot them down if you want or if you're fast, you can turn over there. Acts chapter 1, and verse 6 and 7. It says, when they therefore were come together, let me give you the context of what's going on in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are there with Jesus Christ and, uh, and, and they, are, they are thinking now, well, he's going to set up his kingdom. And they had asked that, where they're going to ask that. And, uh, and it says there in verse number six, when they were therefore come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. And I just throw that verse out there to say this, that there are some things that God simply does not want us to know. Uh, one of those things being the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes, and I believe a lot of times, the, the time frames in the Bible are, are, are difficult to find out. And I think there's, God has some reasons uh, for that. And when dealing with time as well, let me say this, that God's perspective on time is not the same as our perspective on time. We all measure time the same. We'll look at the clock and we know, well, one minute has passed. We'll know five minutes has passed. One hour has passed. And all of that registers to us. We understand, well, it's May 11th. Well, we understand where that sets in a year, what time of day it is, and all of those things because that's how we always have thought of time. But God uh, transcends time. And so it becomes very difficult for us to wrap our heads around how God views time. And the question really is, uh, you know, is that like two days to the Lord? Well, it's very difficult to say uh, how God views time. Uh, because he really, this is one of the verses that he's given us a little bit of an idea of what he's talking about. Go with me. We're there in 2 Peter chapter number 3. And let's look at the context of this passage and what he's talking about. So he said there in verse number 8 that the, the one day is, is with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. So let's find out what he's talking about. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 1, he says this, this, is, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, and, or of the Lord and Savior. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. So he's getting ready to dive into end time stuff. Verse number four. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water 
perished. That's talking about the worldwide flood that took over the entire world. He's just referencing it as a point in time. And go on to verse number 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved... Be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he asks the question in verse number 4, he says, hey, the scoffers are saying, where is the coming of the Lord? And he goes on and he says, uh, there, this is the scoffers. This is what they're saying. Hey, time continues to go on as it always has. Uh, yeah, we know that the flood took place and that was a judgment of God. But yet there's still time just keeps marching on. And men are just as wicked and just as evil today as they were in the past. And they're saying, hey, where is his coming? And his answer is there in verse number eight that he says, hey, listen, we, God doesn't view time the same way we do. And so a thousand years to us, we're like, man, that's a long time. I read in the Bible and I, I see how those men lived uh, until they were eight, nine hundred years old. And I think to myself, man, I don't know that I'd want to live that long, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure that they, their, their health held up better. I'm, I'm sure that things were different. And, uh, and I don't know exactly how it all happened, uh, but man, we look at a thousand years and we say, man, that is a long time. I mean, if you live to be a hundred, uh, that's doing good these days. And, uh, and that would be 10 times. That would be, uh, you know, people that would live 110 times over. And, uh, and so he's just simply pointing out the fact that God doesn't view time like we view time. And so, for, for instance, for God, it's a short amount of time that has passed. And so, for us to really understand that is difficult, but understand that He is talking about the coming of Christ, and He's talking about uh, the, the uh, time period and how much time has passed. And I just want to mention this on counting of days. Um, our calendar, and then we'll get to the second half of that question that, that we dealt with, uh, or the first part of the question, rather, that was given the date or time period when Jesus was on earth and returned to heaven. Our calendar makes use of uh, the, the initials B.C. and A.D. And, uh, and I never did understand this, and while I was looking this up today, I thought, I thought, I still don't understand why they use English, B.C., before Christ. I could not find any other uh, meaning for B.C. It's before Christ. That's what it stands for. And A.D., they use Latin, uh, Anno uh, Domini, Domini. I wrote it down. Yeah, Domini. Um, which means uh, the year of the Lord's dominance. It's actually, that's a shortened phrase, Anno Domini. Uh, it goes on to say, uh, De Deo, or, or of the Lord, uh, and, and in Latin. And that's a Latin phrase. 
And, uh, and it means the Lord's dominance. And I love this. I find this so fascinating that when they put our calendar and our time together, it was the Julian calendar. It was late in the, uh, I don't know when the Julian was, but the Gregorian that we adopted later came in the 1500s. But, but the idea was that B.C. would end when A.D. started at the very birth of Jesus Christ. Now, he missed it by a couple years. Um, he went back and was dating back to that time. So he missed it, and it's widely recognized that he was off by a couple of years. But by and large, uh, since we don't know the exact time and exact date, uh, you can just roughly say, well, the time that Jesus was born was in 1 AD. might have been 2, it might have been 3, it might have been 4, it might have been... 2 BC, we, we, we don't know exactly, it was off a little bit, it's widely accepted, everyone knows it was not exactly on, but that being said, we're in 2000, so it was about 2000 years ago that Jesus was born here on this earth, so that's why we say that, and then if you go back, you can count time uh, in Bible, and, uh, and, and go back and measure generations and figure out that the world uh, is, is... But when Christ had come, the world was about 4,000 years old. Matter of fact, they've got the B.C. dates all the way back, and you can go back and date them and find out, oh, the, the earth was created uh, roughly uh, 4,000 years before Jesus came. And, uh, and so that gives us a grand total of 6,000 years. And to answer the question, uh, is there a given date or time when Jesus was on earth and returned to heaven? Uh, we don't know exactly because our calendars are slightly off. Uh, I was going to say, we, we don't use the Julian calendar. Uh, it, it, was, it was actually um, the Gregorian calendar developed by Pre Pope Gregory. I found that very interesting. The 13th in the late 1500s. Uh, went did, through and redid the calendar because they had not accounted for leap years. And so, uh, so we, have, we have the Gregorian calendar that we use. But I say all that, say this, can we pin it back to the exact day or exact year? No, we cannot. Um, and it's difficult. And I go back to the verse that I think God said, hey, it's not for you to know the times or seasons or days. Why is that? I think it's this reason. If we knew the exact day, man would worship that day more than they'd worship God. If we knew the exact day that Jesus died, uh, then, then man would go back and worship that exact day more than they'd worship God. And I'm saying that as in the, the exact day of the year and, and all of that. And so uh, we don't know all of those things definitively um, we, we use rough estimates that was about 2,000 years ago that Jesus came to the earth and about 4,000 years ago uh, that the world was created. And by the way, it's not billions and billions and billions of years old. I just have to say that because so many people hammer on that today. It drives me crazy. I watch documentaries on nature and I, I love watching documentaries about nature. I love creatures. I, I think they're the most fascinating things in the world, but it drives me crazy. They're like billions of years ago when this evolved. I'm like, two strikes against you. It wasn't a billion years ago and it did not evolve. It was created. And so I uh, just have to throw that out there since we're talking about time. So, uh, so to answer the question, is there a given date or time period when Jesus was on the earth and returned to heaven? Uh, we don't know exactly, but we do know it was roughly 2,000 years ago. Of course, we're in 2022, so it would be 2,020 years ago, 22 years ago that he was born on this earth. We do know that he lived roughly uh, 33 years 
before he died. And so uh, you can kind of put an idea of where it was uh, that he died. And so to him, I would assume based on this verse, yeah, it was like two days ago. Because a thousand years is as uh, one day, or a, a one thousand years is as one day to the Lord. And so, uh, yes, it would be like two, two days ago to him, uh, based on that verse. All right, one other question we're going to look at, and this is a very broad one. And, uh, and actually, the more I dug in, the more interesting I found it. Um, the ministry of the Holy Ghost, when did people become filled with the Holy Ghost? And this is a, a very interesting question in all reality. Um, let me explain to you real quick three, three main ministries. We know this is, this is really uh, visible in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God, God the Father, deals with man. God the Father was the one uh, who talked with Abraham, and, and, uh, and, and it was uh, God that came down and dealt with Adam and Eve in the garden. And God is dealing without, with man all through the Old Testament. And then, of course, when Jesus comes to the earth, um, if I can put it this way, understand that three are the, the, we believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, but primarily it was God the Father working with mankind. When Jesus came, Jesus' ministry was to mankind on the earth, and you don't see God so much dealing with man on the earth as much as you see Jesus Christ dealing with man on the earth. Then Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and he went to heaven, and after that, because Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit, and he said, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he gave the, the disciples in John chapter 14 and 16 promises that, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and that he'll help you. And in Acts, we see that in Acts chapter 1, uh, he gives them the promise again, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and all of Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, then, the Spirit comes and all... All throughout the book of Acts, we find that the Holy Spirit is working with man. So there's those three divisions. But in that, understand that that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ didn't work in the Old Testament. We go back and we can find Old Testament dealings where Jesus Christ was physically present on earth. We can go find Old Testament references where the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at those, was working on earth. And so understand that those are just broad sweeping terms and they don't mean that the Holy Spirit did not work. Um, go with me to Genesis chapter number 1. We're just going to look at a few of these. But Genesis chapter number 1, and creation especially is important that we see all three, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit active in creation. And I believe this is very important. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 1, in verse number 2, and the Bible says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And so we have the Spirit of God that is active and involved in even the creation. Uh, you go down a little bit and it says, uh, I think it might have been in chapter 2, I don't remember off the top of my head, but, but uh, then God is talking and He says, let us make man in our image. I'm sorry, it's in chapter 1, verse 26. 
And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness uh, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And so we find that God uh, created man in his image, uh, but he's talking plural. Why is that? Well, he wasn't consulting with the angels. That's what some people will tell you. Uh, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that were all active in creation. Um, and so I just want to point out that the Holy Spirit was active even in creation. Go to me with to Exodus chapter 31, and I love this, this passage. I read this a while ago in my devotions, and uh, I actually had forgotten about it, and it popped up when I was studying on, on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Let's read the whole context here. Let's start in verse number 1. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 31, verse number 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work all manner of workmanship. And behold, I have given with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee, the tabernacle of the congregation, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. Let's just stop right there. We kind of got the idea of what's going on. So God is speaking to Moses and he's saying, hey, you're going to build this tabernacle. But before he says that, he says, hey, listen, I've given to you this fellow. And I'm not going to go back and repeat his name. I think his name was Uri. Um, I won't get his, his uh, no, his dad's name was Uri. That's the easier name. Um, Belzalel is his name. And, uh, and he says there in verse number three, he says, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding. This verse was a, a real blessing to me, and I'll tell you why. This, you th we think of the Spirit of God, we think of spiritual works that are going on. When we think of the Spirit of God, we think of a prophet that is prophesying and, and speaking. We think of witnessing, like in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. And that is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong. Don't delete that from your mind. But in this passage, we find that the Spirit of God came upon not a prophet, not a man of God, but a regular laborer, who worked with gold, who worked with wood, who worked under the fashions of carving and making and manufacturing stuff. We're talking about a guy who was handy at fixing and building and making stuff, but the Spirit of God didn't come upon him to, to prophesy. The Spirit of God came upon him so that he could build the tabernacle of God. And I just love that. I thought, why, why is that so important? Listen, the Spirit of God can, can use you 
and the gifts that you have to do things for God. And it doesn't have to be preaching. It doesn't have to be teaching a Sunday school. Hey, listen, uh, there's gifts that God gives us. There's strengths and there's things that God gives us so that we can do a job uh, that we ought to be. And I love the fact that the Bible says, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and in understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass. He goes on cutting stone and uh, all the other stuff. And so God was using this man to, to build the tabernacle of God. I just love that. I feel like that's so important. Uh, and such a blessing to know, hey, uh, God can use you even if you're not called to preach. God can use your strengths and your wisdom uh, that you have in whatever expertise or whatever area it is. So I say that to say this as well, that the Holy Spirit did fill people in the Old Testament. Now, there's a great difference between the filling in the Old Testament. I got several other examples. We'll not go there for sake of time, but you can jot them down. Judges, uh, in Judges, we find it often. Matter of fact, in Judges chapter 6, Gideon, the Bible says, was filled with the Spirit of God in order to stand against the enemies of the Philistines. We find in Judges chapter 14, I think it was uh, 12 is another one I write down. It was Jephthah. You remember Jephthah's awful vow. Uh, that he had vowed, but the Spirit of God filled him to conquer the enemies that were coming against Israel. In Judges 14, uh, Samson kills a lion after being filled with the Spirit. In 1 Samuel 10, Saul is seeking for the lost sheep uh, uh, that his father had sent him after, and he's filled with the Spirit, and he begins to prophesy. In 1 Samuel 16, uh, I love this verse. The Bible says, that Samuel went to anoint David as king, and then these are the words that it reads, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. What an incredible verse. And so I say that to say, in the Old Testament, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's a little bit different than what we have in the New Testament. Why is that? Well, in the New Testament, we have the promise of the filling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit on our life. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, we were just there, I know we left it, uh, but it, it says this, Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so today we associate, and rightfully so, the filling of the Holy Spirit with witnessing because that is one of the, uh, the, the jobs that, that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would fulfill through us. And that would be, we'd be a witness. And so uh, we find that we were promised the filling of the Holy Spirit. Go with me to Ephesians chapter number 1. And I do want you to see this verse, Ephesians chapter 1. And I believe this one's important. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13. There's other promises in John chapter 14, 16, and I believe 18 uh, are the promises that the Holy Spirit will come uh, as well, not just Acts 1.8. I think of Acts 1.8 more readily as it is a promise of the Spirit coming, and Jesus was giving that to His disciples. But then look with me in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13. The Bible says 
in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the whole, that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of of His glory. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 basically uh, assures us of this. When the Holy Spirit comes and, and that He dwells within us and He seals our salvation until the day of redemption. So the biggest difference between the Old Testament saints is the Spirit of God would come upon them and, and would fill them, and, and they would be able to do some things. Uh, but then, by and large, there was no promise that the Holy Spirit would stay with man. Uh, he would come, things would get done, and then he may not stay with them. There was no bind, there was no promise, there was no uh, commitment there to, to be with them. And, and in the New Testament, we have the promise that the Holy Spirit will not only embolden us to witness, but secondly, that He will seal us until the day of redemption. And that means that the Holy Spirit will stay with us. He is the earnest or the 10%. He's the down payment for when our salvation is complete and our salvation will be complete when we arrive in heaven. And, uh, and so uh, I hope that makes some sense. I hope you understand that. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 as well says this, and, be not grie and, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. So two places in the book of Ephesians are very solid that the Holy Spirit seals us uh, unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 and Ephesians 1.13 and 14. And so I hope that helps uh, you understand that the Holy Spirit was active, was working in the Old Testament. He did fill people. They were able to do many things and many tasks, but they did not have the promise like we have in the New Testament to be sealed unto the day of redemption. And, uh, and so we have that indwelling uh, of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we, I tend to classify being filled with the Spirit. Um, there's that verse, I should have thought of that, in Ephesians. Um, be filled with the Spirit um, is, is actually a command. And, and that is not that the Holy Spirit would come but, and fill us, that, that, but that we would submit ourselves to the control of God. That's the difference. And so uh, understand that. But the Holy Spirit did fill people in the Old Testament, did use people in the Old Testament, and He uses people in the New Testament, and we have to be submitted to Him. In other words, God's not going to forcefully take over our life. Uh, we've got to be willing and saying, God, I want to be used of you and submit ourselves to Him. So just those three questions, uh, I hope and pray that that's a help and a blessing to you. So we stand to our feet. We'll have a short invitation. Father, we thank You just for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. God, the fact that every day we have the Spirit that dwells within us, what a blessing, what a privilege as a modern uh, New Testament saint, God, that the Old Testament saints did not have. God, we thank You for that indwelling presence of Your Holy Spirit in our life. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to be submitted to him. And God, to allow him to use us, to allow him to work through us, to allow him, God, to, uh, to, to, um, to work through our lives. God, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, I pray as we've gone over times and we've gone over uh, that verse in Proverbs, God, that you would help us to um, apply those to our lives, God, and to, uh, to, to even as we study your word, to have a greater desire to understand each and every word of it. Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.